is. Let me share with you some facts and figures that you may not be aware of. These are things that are going on in your body right now. The face has 43 different muscles. And yet it's capable of 10,000 different facial expressions. 3,000 of them express emotion, which I'm sure every married man here is perfectly aware of. The eye has two million working parts. And some researchers have suggested that it can distinguish between 10 million different colors. If you were to unravel and flatten out your small intestine, do you realize it would be the equivalent area of three tennis courts put back to back? If I could get a hold of Carlin's capillary in his middle finger there and start pulling and tugging and pulling and tugging and pull out all of his blood vessels and lay them end to end. Do you know how long that would be? 60,000 miles. It would stretch two and a half times around the world. His nervous system is longer still because if you did the same with all the nerves and the nerve um, filaments that there are in his body, that would be 90,000 miles. Imagine that. And yet those systems are plumbed into each one of our bodies and they work perfectly, decade after decade after decade. But more mind-boggling than that, the human body has 100 trillion separate cells. But did you know inside each cell, there's nine feet of DNA filaments organized in that fascinating double helix. And if you could pull all that out and place it end to end, it would stretch from here to the sun and back 50 times. That's 10 billion miles. And yet all of that, all that DNA material, all that nervous system, all that circulatory system, all that digestive system is packed into your body and mine. And it works perfectly throughout our lifetime. I think that's absolutely amazing. But you know what? There's another body that's even more amazing than that. And I'm looking out on it this morning. And that's the body of Christ, the church. The title of my message today is The Church as the body of Christ. And as we look at this together, we'll be looking at two of 
LCF's core commitments. We're going to be looking at the centrality of Christ and we're going to be looking at being engaged and invested in the local church. The scripture I want to use is in Ephesians and it's chapter 4 and just two verses, verses 15 and 16. I'll read it to you but it's also going to appear on the screen behind me. So Paul writes this to the Ephesians. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are all to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by its every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let me read that again. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. There are three things in these two verses that I want us to draw out about being the church as the body of Christ. And the first one is in verse 15. Let me remind you what it says. It says we are to grow up in every way, into him who is the head, into Christ. My first point this morning is to be the body of Christ means to be living under Jesus' headship. Why don't we say that together? Let's put that title up there. It means to be living under Jesus' headship. The church is not a club, it's not a meeting, it's not a support group, it's a body, but not any body. Paul tells the Corinthians that the church is the body of Christ. He reminds the Colossians that Christ is the head of the body, the church. We are the body, he is the head. Unfortunately, for some churches, that is not an everyday, conscious, I will obey you, come what may, fact of life. Let me tell you a story. On December the sorry, September the 10th, 1945, farmer Lloyd Olson was sent on a routine mission by his wife. He was to prepare a chicken for their supper that evening when Mrs. Olson's mother was to be the honoured guest. Now Lloyd knew that his mother-in-law really savoured the chicken's neck. So when he scooped up a very plump, unsuspecting bird, he planned a blow that would give her what she enjoyed the most. So stretching the fowl out over a block of wood, he lifted his axe and brought it down. And as the 
custom is that freshly dispatched chicken staggered, flapped, but it wouldn't die. In fact, it was still alive the next day and he lived for another 18 months. Scientists at the University of Utah concluded that the chicken's jugular vein had not been severed, so Mike, they gave him a name, still had a functioning brain cell. So, Farmer Olson put his entrepreneurial spirit into practice, and he fed the decapitated bird through an eyedropper. Mike, the headless chicken, as he came to be called, was a celebrity. He even went on tour. Hundreds of people in New York, then in Atlantic City, then in LA, then in San Diego, lined up and paid Farmer Olson 25 cents, that's the equivalent of about $5 today, for the curiosity of seeing Mike the wonder bird, the headless chicken, and he went on to make a small fortune for his owners. What's more, Mike appeared in Time magazine, he appeared in Life magazine, and on national radio was described as, and I quote, a robust specimen who didn't know he didn't have a head. Now, is that, is that just a weird story? Or is it a picture of how the church relates to Jesus? You see, the Bible makes crystal clear that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's another way of saying head of the church, Lord. Paul tells the Philippians that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the Corinthians he writes, what we preach is Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. That's a great verse by the way, 2 Corinthians 4.5. When John describes Jesus returning to the earth in Revelation... He says, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Elsewhere in the New Testament, Jesus is called the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of heaven, the Lord of earth, the Lord of glory, and the Lord of all. If you were to sit down and go through the New Testament and count how many times Jesus is called Lord, it would be 653 times across 602 verses. So the Bible makes it very clear that Jesus is Lord. Interestingly, it's trendy today to talk about Jesus as our Savior. Now, I know he is our Savior. And the New Testament calls him Saviour. But for every once he's called Saviour, 27 times he's called Lord. In other words, what we need to get at the forefront of our mind is relating to Jesus as Lord. Relating to him as the head 
of the body. So let me ask us a question. Let me ask it of each individual. Do you own Jesus Christ as your Lord? Or is he just your saviour? Have we come to Christ on the basis of him serving us? Forgive me, answer me, heal me, bless me. Or have we come to Christ on the basis of us serving him? Taking up our cross daily and following him. Not my will but yours be done. Our finances. Are they ours or his? Our time. Is it ours or his? Our resources. Are they ours or his? Is Jesus Christ our Lord or just a weekly interest that we have? Now let me ask that same question corporately. Is Jesus Christ Lord of this faith community? Is Jesus Christ head of this body? Is he the living head or just a figurehead? Mike managed a whole year and a half without his head. Are we trying to manage without ours? Hudson Taylor, who actually was born and brought up in the same city I grew up in, in Yorkshire, in England, though of course we were over a century apart, was the founder of the China Inland Mission. And one time he was having a training session with his missionaries and he said this to them. There are three ways we can work for the Lord. The first is to make the best plans we can and carry them out to the best of our ability. The second is to lay out our plans before God and then ask God to make them successful. But the third way, and the best way, he said, is to begin with God, asking him what his plans are, and then committing to carrying them out with the help of the Holy Spirit. There's a huge difference between asking God to come onto our agenda and asking him to move us onto his agenda. There's a world of difference between asking God to bless what we are doing and asking God to help us do what he's blessing. Now, the sad truth is that in North America, we rarely operate out of level three, out of option three that Hudson Taylor outlined for his missionaries. In fact, A.W. Tozer once said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the early church, 95% of what they were doing would stop and everybody would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% would carry on and nobody would know the difference. 
Ouch. You see, the fact is, brothers and sisters, that we can preach sermons. We can run meetings. We can organize events. And we can do it all without any of those things being what he wants. The church is best run from the prayer room, not the boardroom. Now, obviously, we need administration but only when we hear what God wants us to do first. May we never make Jesus like King Charles. And by that I mean King Charles reigns but he doesn't rule. In the UK, King Charles doesn't call the shots from Buckingham Palace. He's just a figurehead. The people who call the shots right now is Richie Sunak and his cabinet at number 10 Downing Street. Is Jesus our figurehead or is he our fountainhead? The one that supplies all we need. So Christ is the head of the church. Jesus is Lord. But Paul says something else. Just look at verse 16. He says, The whole body is joined and held together by every joint. So if the church is the body of Christ, its members will be jointed together. Now I know in North America, in the 21st century, a joint means something different to what it meant here. What Paul is talking about here when he mentions a joint is a relationship. Is my life coming together with yours, your life coming together with the person next to you, and so on. In fact, according to the New Testament, the church isn't just individuals relating to Jesus all independently of one another. It's the church relating first together and then to him. We operate like the cross on both the vertical and the horizontal dimensions. That's why every picture of the church in the New Testament is plural. It's not just Jesus and me, but rather we are a family of many siblings. We're a building of many living stones. We're a body of many parts. We're a nation of many members. We're a flock of many sheep. Every image is plural. In other words, it's not just Jesus and me. It's Jesus and us. It's me and you. That's a joint. That's a relationship that God brings together and forges together in commitment and in love. And it's actually a beautiful thing. Because social background doesn't matter. Because economic status doesn't matter. Because educational achievement doesn't matter. 
One of the things that boggled the mind of the early Romans was how a slave and a senator could sit in the same church meeting and embrace one another as brothers. One time a, a man came to Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, the 19th century England. And he said to him, and this is a question many ask, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? Well, the great preacher didn't seem to hear. Instead of answering his question, he got up from his chair and he poked the fire that was blazing in his study. And then he took a coal off the fire and placed it on the hearth, sat back down and took up conversation again. They chatted for 15, 20 minutes about this and that. And eventually, the guy brought the conversation round to his original question. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? In answering, Spurgeon simply pointed to the coal, which by now was cold and dead. And the lesson couldn't have been clearer. When that coal was burning with other coals, it burned bright and clear. But when it was taken out and left in isolation, it became cold and dead. There's your answer. Because you see, coming to church, being part of a body, means being jointed with others. And those joints are valuable. You see, we are better together. We are not better on our own, but we are better together. And Paul tells us we're better in two ways. First of all, we have greater strength together. He says the body is held together by its joints. Let me try and show you what I mean with a illustration. Larry, I wonder, Carlin, if you... Now, these guys, this is unrehearsed, okay? Uh, and and Dwayne, can you come out? I just want you guys to stand here. One thing I like about coming to Landmark is it's like coming to the land of the giants. <laughs> I, I just want you guys just to just to stand together, shoulder to shoulder. Now this looks great, doesn't it? These are men right now whose lives are just impinging on one another. They're just touching. But it's very easy for me to come and pull and push them apart. Because there's nothing there joining them together. But if they are jointed together, maybe you could, that's it. Now I can come and try and pull, and I can't shift them. Thanks. You see, when we are jointed, we are stronger. The, the, the place where the devil attacks us most frequently and most fiercely is in our relationships. Because he wants to get us offended with one another, so we become like that coal on Spurgeon's hearth. Isolated and ineffective. 
And so he'll try and bend you out of shape because somebody will say something or do something that we take the wrong way and we take offense. And once we take offense, we create distance and isolation and then we want to leave altogether. And Satan has won. Because the place he attacks us most is in our relationships. And if he can't stop us becoming Christians, he'll try and stop us becoming effective Christians. Strong Christians. And the fact is that we are stronger together. Not only are we stronger together, we have greater strength. We also have greater supply. Listen to what Paul says to the Ephesians. He says the whole body isn't just held together through every joint, but it's also equipped through every joint. He says the same thing to the Colossians in chapter 2, verse 19. He says, the whole body is nourished, great word, through its joints. You see, it's here in the joints, in the relationships, where we work out those 59 one another verses that are peppered throughout the New Testament. Commands like love one another, be devoted to one another, accept one another, care for one another, forgive one another. That's joint work. That's how the early church did church. In fact, there's a description of their life together. Let me read it to you. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds to what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. What a great verse of scripture. That's Acts 4, 34. Imagine that. The rich selling their possessions to give to the poor. Decades ago, I remember being a guest speaker in a service in a church in England where a very special presentation was made. The week before, a poor family in the fellowship, um, their laundry machines had broken down, both the washer and the dryer. They had no money to replace them or even repair them, and so they were in dire need. I can still see it in my mind. After the worship, we all sat down and the leader said, okay, we've got a special presentation to make. He called the family out. And then through the back doors, a staff member wheeled in a brand new washer and a brand new dryer. The church all cheered. The couple in need broke down in tears. And God got all the glory. You see, that's joints. That's your need being met by my supply. And what goes around comes around because sometimes my need will be met by your supply. In fact, just a few weeks ago after Val's surgery, when she came home, and the last thing we were thinking about was, was what to eat and how to cook it. 
text came through and said, don't worry about the cooking. Meals will be delivered. And they came for the next two weeks. We were so grateful. That's joint work. That's the body caring for itself. Two weeks ago, we got a text from our daughter. It simply said, pray, pray, pray. Our 11-year-old grandson had had a grand mal seizure and the paramedics had taken him to children's hospital. Now, we felt helpless. So the first thing we did was send an email to all our prayer supporters. And within minutes, people all over the world were praying for Liam. That's joints. That, that's, that's being supplied by the joints. And interestingly, he came round much sooner than expected. And when eventually I got there to see how things were going, he was just about recovered. You see, being in the church is being in the body. It's being part of one another. It's me belonging to you, you belonging to me. Our lives not impinging, but being fastened together with the love of Christ. Well, what does it mean for the church to be a body? It means to relate to Jesus as the head, the Lord. It means to relate to one another with love and commitment, better together. But there's a third part. Look at verse 16 again. He said, all this happens when each part is working properly. If we're the body of Christ, each part will work properly. Let's run a video just for a few minutes. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm fine, thanks. How are you? Good, nice to meet you. Uh, what's the act called? Uh, Charlotte and Jonathan. Charlotte and Jonathan. Okay. Um, uh, how old are you both? I'm 16. And I'm 17. Okay. Um, and, and you thought the combination would work. Whose idea was it? Um, it was our singing teachers, actually. She thought it'd be good to try us out together. Okay. You're not saying much, Jonathan. <laughs> are you shy? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> I've always had sort of problems with my size since I, I can remember. And when I was in sort of primary school, it was back then really that I had sort of the mick taken out of me and it, it kind of damaged my confidence quite a bit. When, when people would say something to me, I'd just... It'd just take a little piece out of me, in a sense. And do you think you could win? Yeah, together. Yeah. All right, good luck. Good luck. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Here we go. Just 
Isn't that great? Simon had written Jonathan off the minute he saw him. He didn't look the part. He was overweight. He was unkempt. He was insecure. He was just a teenager until he opened his mouth. And then his gift shone. You could say there was treasure in the earthen vessel. But what does that have to do with the church being the body of Christ? Well, we might think of ourselves as earthen vessels, cracked, chipped, but there's something good and valuable in each of us. Paul tells the Romans in chapter 12 that each of us has a gift that we can use. Each of us, no exceptions. We're all gifted. We're all important. We're all necessary. In fact, why don't we just look at what those, what Paul says. Let me read to you what he says. He says, we though... Though many are one body in Christ, we're individually members, one of another. We've already covered that. And we have gifts. You have a gift. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So let's use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who acts with mercy, with cheerfulness. Seven motivational gifts. And every one of you is in that list somewhere. So how do we know who we are? Let me throw a picture up here for us. This is a, a scene. It's called, there's the, the, the uh, gifts at the top from Romans, seven, uh, Romans 12. Seven gifts. This rookie waiter has tripped up and spilled a tray of food over a customer. Now how each person in the restaurant responds, reveals how they're gifted. You are there somewhere. Let's just go through them left to right. There's a woman saying, if only he'd carried it like this, he'd never have dropped it in the first place. She's showing him what to do. Who do you think that is? That's a teacher. Look at the guy with the big nose and the blue jacket. He's getting everybody sorted out. All right, listen up. Let's get this mess cleaned up quickly. Get the broom. Get the polish. Get the bucket and mop. You do this, you do that, you do the other. Who's that? He's the ruler, the leader, yeah. Then look at the lady with the frizzy hair. She's just pulled a $20 bill out and she's saying, Oh, it's a hundred dollar bill. Here's a hundred bucks. Go and buy yourself another uniform. Who's that? That's the giver. That's right. Now let's look at that strange looking guy with the funny hairdo at the back. 
I'm really sorry all this happened. Are you okay? What's he giving? He's giving mercy. There's the mercy giver. Now there's the guy with the big nose, another fellow waiter. George, I'll help you. We'll get this mess cleaned up together. What's he doing? He's a servant. He's serving. Yeah. And then the, the lady there with the smiley face on, she's just saying, don't worry about it. It was just an accident. Everything's going to be okay. You'll be all right. Come on, get up, get on. What's she doing? She's exhorting him, encouraging him. And then the bald-headed guy with the ponytail, he's seeing a spiritual lesson in the whole thing. Who's that? The prophet. So, we're all there. Some of us respond by helping others see what's right. Others respond by giving to them. Our daughter, when she was young, just loved to bake cookies and cakes to give to the neighbors. She couldn't help it because she was a giver. You were there. Be who you are. These are hard-baked in us at conception. And what comes naturally is how we are gifted in the body of Christ. So, you think, well, I don't think God could fit me in. Let me close with a little story. I was saved in an Assemblies of God church in the north of England in a mining town. And in our congregation, there was a Down syndrome girl called Wendy. And you think, well, how could somebody with such special needs as Wendy ever contribute anything to a body? Well, the Lord had a job for Wendy. And actually, it was an important job. Because she was a greeter par excellence. And every person that came through that door, they got a smile, they got a handshake, sometimes a slap on the back. They were given a hymn book, they were given a Bible, they were given a welcome, and if the mood took her, a kiss on the cheek. Nobody came through that door and ever felt rejected. Because God had a place for Wendy. And he's got a place for each one of you. Because the church is the body of Christ. Relating to Jesus' head. Jointed together with one another in relationships and held together with love. With each part working properly. Everyone important. Everyone necessary. Well, our time's gone. And also our worship leaders helping the children with their drama. So why don't we stand together? And let's just take a moment, shall we, to talk to the Lord. Maybe there are people here who don't feel like you belong. 
believe the Lord wants to just remove that sense of isolation and insignificance from you because it's a lie from the devil. You are very important. You are here because God has placed you here. And you are a joint in this body to make it stronger and to help with its supply. Maybe you're here and you think, well, I'm not gifted. I can't contribute anything. Yes, you can. Your gift might be different to the person next to you, the person in front of you. But he has gifted you so that you can make a difference. It might be in a small way, but make a big difference. And maybe there are people here who've never made Jesus Lord of their life. And my invitation is for you to do that right now. In fact, I'm going to say a prayer and I'm going to invite you all to follow me so that if there's anyone here praying this for the first time, it's easier for them. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to the stable for me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I turn away from my old life. I ask you to forgive me for everything that's past. Come into my life. I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my Lord. And as the treasure of my heart. Oh, come, let.